Welcome to Opacity, a podcast about working in design. Hey, Craig, how's it going? Hey, Tom. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. It's been a long day. Um, we're recording this at the end of a work day. So we should, we should perk up? Is that what you're saying? We should perk up because this is an exciting topic. It is an exciting topic. It's a humorous topic. Maybe I can talk about it a little bit more than you can because it's since it's your, based around your article. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. You can blow your own trumpet if you like. So you're quite active with your Medium posts. I enjoy your posts and you're usually very insightful. And uh, But the last couple of years you do UX predictions? Every year for the past two years. That's quite the track record, yeah. <laughs> so um, it's an annual it's a, post. It's a tradition. It's an it's annual tradition. tradition. Yeah, it is a tradition. So uh, what I like about it is it's a nice mixture of, mixture of insight and humor. So I'd recommend everyone to read it. But there's a couple of things that you have in the in the recent post, which just went out a couple of months ago, or a couple of weeks ago. It went out, well, it went out right after New Year's. Okay. So... Yeah, okay. early, early first week of January 2019. Okay, we're in we're in January 2019 now, so okay, my time is all screwed up. But thought there was some good points in there. Thought to be some some good bullets to to walk through and uh, just food good food for thought that we can maybe expand a little bit. Maybe it's a it's a thing to start with, like a starting place to go and see kind of what are the other predictions we think because you know the, those those pieces are meant to be. They're meant to be humorous. They're meant to be kind of tongue in cheek and making fun of ourselves as an industry, which is something I I like to do, um, poke fun at ourselves, uh, which is any healthy industry should be okay with that. But behind everything is there is an element of truth. Yeah, I choose to hide behind um, some type of humor. People who take themselves too seriously are no friends of mine. No friends of mine. <laughs> okay, we kick it off. So one of the topics that you mentioned is the existential around the existential crisis of designers. Mm-hmm. I know you framed it around UX designer, you know, am I a UX designer, is she a UX designer, can we all be UX designers, and that kind of thing. I think it's something anybody working in design knows about, the, these existential crises, it's something everybody talks about, obviously. I think it's going to continue. My prediction, my bold prediction for the year is this will continue. <laughs> this will not be something that's solved because I don't really see our industry becoming clearer. Like it, it seems to be, as opaque as ever, hence nice. little little plug for the for the podcast Opacity. Check out Opacity. Subscribe on all the platforms. That's a we call it a callback in show business. You know show business? Not really, no. But I've heard a comedian say that. So what um, do you what do you think, Tom? Do you think do you feel you're in an existential crisis, or do you know yourself? Um, I think I've probably used the term existential crisis in the past, but I probably mixed it up with like identity crisis. I don't think existential is quite a lot more serious in my mind. So I don't think it's gonna, the ground is gonna fall out beneath me. Are you going through an identity crisis? Professional identity um, crisis? I wouldn't say a crisis. I think that's been very melodramatic from my perspective anyway, maybe other people are, but I think the whole kind of idea of labels and terms and you're kind of, there's a lot of saturation in the market with labels and you know, and you're like, well, I'm kind of this and I'm kind of that. I don't feel like there's one term that kind of covers, explains accurately me, like my flavor of design. And I think a lot of people feel that way as well. So you're not going through an existential crisis, but you are pondering your identity yeah. as a designer. It's an identity you're, itch more so than a crisis. Yeah. You're giving it a think. Giving it a think, yeah. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. And I, I just kind of, I, I keep on coming back to like just digital designer. I think that just kind of does the job. Like, you know, it's a product design role that I'm working in. There's UX and there's user interface design and all that type of stuff. But 
I think generally design a digital designer ticks covers most of the stuff. You know, I'm happy enough with that. I think if you feel okay with that, yeah, I can live with it. <laughs> How about you? Uh, do you feel this crisis? Obviously, you do because you're talking about it in your yeah. I don't I don't know what article. the hell's going on um, with you or in general. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a bit of over analysis, uh, just overthinking our industry. But I think we all like. I think maybe it's part of who we are. A lot of designers maybe overthink. I know I. I'm definitely guilty of overthinking everything in in life, mm-hmm. um, and career, hundred percent for sure. Yeah, is, you reckon that's a kind of an artifact of the fact that you change career from another thing into design, you know, not so long ago, if you will. So Possibly. you're a bit more conscious of. Um, yeah, the who knows? Um, maybe, maybe not. Perhaps, perhaps not. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm gonna hold um, that. <laughs> You should be a politician. Right, we'll move on. Okay, okay so the next one is uh, designers will summon forces of darkness. Yeah, you're basically saying everyone has going to have a dark mode in their app. I've always been drawn to dark mode. Like I listened to metal music and all the forums that I used to go to in their earlier days all had like kind of dark backgrounds and stuff. So when I was in college and designed my portfolio of a class of about 24 designers, I was the only one who had a dark background and uh, gave me kudos for that. They were kind of, well, you're standing out at least. I just like the look of it. It was easier on the eyes and especially if there's any kind of work that's visual and kind of colorful, it stands out, I think, a bit better from black or darker colors. So uh, dark mode. That's your that's your preference. Actually, well, maybe we're talking about tools later on, but I've actually, I tried it with Mojave and I switched back because it- Mojave? Mojave. Mojave. Uh, move back. I moved back to the light mode actually because I just thought it was, it was messing up sketch for me. I didn't really like the- yeah. Full on dark. I have nothing to add to dark mode. Honestly, I I love dark modes just because I'm not scared staring at a white, uh, bright white screen all day. Yeah, that's literally the extent of my thought on dark mode. Um, so the darker the better. All my everywhere I have dark, I make it dark. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. It's not a new thing though. Is, I mean, Photoshop does blue light and, uh, still come through dark mode. I don't actually know. It's a good question. It's a good question for our listeners to to write into us. I don't know where. How they would do tweet maybe? at Tom C Design or at YC Phillips or message me on Instagram. There you go. <laughs> no. Answer that man. Anyway, you can let us know. Find us. Tell us, does dark mode still emit blue light? And keep you awake at night. Yes. Moving on. Moving completely on. Yeah. Okay. So the next thing you've got is around remote jobs. So you say you wish you had a remote job so you can finally live the dream of not interacting with others in real life. That is the dream, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, maybe it's for some, I, I don't know. The, the, I feel like the draw, <laughs> <laughs> the draw of remote work is obviously palpable. Uh, the freedom, the whatever, it's obviously got plenty of draws. For me as a person with a spouse and a child and without a home office, doesn't really, yeah. I don't know, practically speaking, how I would, be remote um but for the the young single digital nomad i think it's a it's a fun exciting way to live uh, i guess yeah i work a little bit remotely not well and we're not I'm not a remote worker but i do work from home you know i'd say frequently enough and i do find it's very it's very good if you've got a lot of stuff to get done if you got a lot of production work or really need some headspace to kind of stick get stuck into something and really distraction free um, I don't personally I don't think I'd like it all the time I do like the interaction with other people I always find if I'm at home 
for a couple of days and I come back in, I do enjoy the banter and, you know, coffee and the chats and stuff like that. I get energy from that somehow, even though I'm not a full out extrovert. But um, I do find that um, like it's especially when you're talking about a lot of modern offices with the kind of open plan, like it seemed like a great idea to everybody X amount of years ago. But the reality is there's just so many people there. Everyone else is there to distract you. Yeah, I mean, I think like it's only going to grow. It's only going to be more of a common thing. There's only going to be more companies who are who are going kind of remote first, kind of like in the envisions of the world who are, um, you know, fully remote. Like it's a really interesting dynamic. I'd love to see some research into like how that works. Mm -hmm. Like I think it works for Envision really well in terms of what they produce Um, and from the folks we know uh there it seems they seem to be super happy with their jobs and um so there's probably a huge advantage to it but yeah we'll see like there may be a, a element of personality it may suit certain people better than others i don't know um but it definitely like as the world shrinks does the world shrinking I, physically physically emotionally spiritually and professionally <laughs> the world is shrinking and uh remote work is just obvious like it needs to it needs to happen what I do like about the idea of it is, is that maybe there's a bit more emphasis on the work-life balance. Even though I, it's when I have done it, I found it a little bit harder to switch off because I'm just in this. I'm in the house and I'm just going from one room to the next, as opposed to the commute. But if there's a bit more flexibility with your time, if you're not wasting all this time commuting, you know, maybe that's you can spend a bit more time with your family if you know you've got kids or that kind of thing. So there's there's the dream of like get hired as a remote worker, get some funds to like have this dream of like, building a home studio. Like, yeah, that kind of stuff, yeah, having yeah. full control and autonomy over your space, over your day to day, when you start work, when you end work, like all that stuff is just so attractive. Very much so. But like, my reality is if I were remote, I'd be sitting at my kitchen table with a laptop. <laughs> that is not ideal. That's that's very destructive probably for my productivity. Yeah, I think I, I do like getting up and being active. You know, my, my, my routine, I, you know, getting up, getting the kids ready, dropping my daughter to school, cycling and all that. I, I, I think it's good for the soul. And I think interacting with humans, I think interacting with, with human beings is an important so. thing for all humans to experience. The less we interact with people, the I think the worse we are off as a species, hmm. as a, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So and if you're going to be a designer, like a good UX designer, interaction design is a, is a key part of that. So you need to interact with people. Yeah. If you're sitting in a dark hole, uh, not talking to anybody, you can't really be, I don't know if you can be an effective UX designer. Um, yeah. So it's a, UX is a muscle that has to be flexed. Nice. And that is flexed through human interaction. Okay. Moving on. Quote of the, uh, quote of the podcast. Quote there. of the podcast. Great. Okay. So next thing that you've got up there is a specialist versus generalist versus T-shaped designers. Mm-hmm. Which is, what are your thoughts on this? I think we, we've chatted about it before, but... Um, yeah. So it's a topic that I think a lot of people have thoughts on. What I put in the article was the end days of the T-shaped designer are are nigh or something to that effect. Mm. Basically, they're they're coming up. The t- It doesn't seem that the T-shape is still as relevant as it was like when I was starting in this. Mm. Um, that I'm sure can be debated. My general observation is special, like we're moving towards specialization, but there's plenty of work available for the generalists. Like mm. there's so much work available and there's so many companies that have limited resources and can't hire a team of specialists. So there's a there's just a, a need to hire generalists, just practically speaking, in terms of salaries and what they can pay. Um, but it seems 
the companies with the resources are hiring the specialists. Maybe they always have. Maybe those companies with the resources would always go with specialization um, type people. Um, maybe not. I don't know. But it does seem that the specialist role, especially I see it a lot with like UX research. Like a couple of years ago, UX research, I wouldn't see many like job postings about it. There wouldn't be a lot of teams that yeah. I would have seen about that are really dedicated UX research because it was sort of UX research was a part of the UX designer's job description. Absolutely. Um, that's been my experience. Uh, but so breaking research off into its own discipline, I think, is a good thing. Mm. Um, and it allows research to really be fully kind of explored and like stronger sort of methodologies brought to that. So it's actually a robust thing and not just something a designer's trying to do, mm. trying to pretend to do or do like a minimal version of. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that reminds me of a, a previous agency I worked in and years back, maybe it's like five or six years ago, but there was a, a summit of sorts between the team where we actually, one of the, the head guys was trying to get a, assess our skill level and where, where people wanted to go. And there seemed to be quite a draw between the, in, within the team that people were drawn to research. And he was like, okay, that's great to see. That's really great to see, but we definitely need designers that we need. Like as an agency, you got to wear a few different hats. You've got to be able to work in a lean manner and do the research, understand that type of stuff. Cause we don't have the, we're a smaller team and we've got multiple projects going on. We we're not a big multi multinational company that has a massive budget and massive design team where you can have specialists. So it was kind of out of necessity. We built up those skills and it was around that time that I really flagged with me. Maybe I, I should be focusing a bit more on interaction design as opposed to just the more kind of visual design stuff. So that was a, a kind of a light bulb moment for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we will see. I think there's plenty of space for all types of designers, but I I would say this specialization is a it's an opportunity for people to to dig deep into into what they want to do yeah. and be happy. I think what I've not what I've noticed is maybe it's a scale thing. So the smaller the team, the more mm-hmm. skills you need to have, the more generalist yeah, you I need think, to be. And yeah, it seems to be a general principle for a lot of things. A generalist principle. Okay. <laughs> Next. Um, yeah, this wasn't in the article per se, uh, but I think ethics as a thing, I guess the, it's a question. Is ethics more of a thing this year than it was last year? I think so. I think so. There's a, it's a lot more mainstream now with the likes of uh, what's happened with Facebook, um, data breaches and all the type of influence that were um, Cambridge Analytica all that type of stuff I think it's much more mainstream and it's on people's minds not even just designers but just people in general the public you know people questioning how their data is being used um, how it can influence elections all the type of stuff and I think it's probably something that you know designers need to be thinking are, are, I think they are well it sounds like it from I like think, how they're talking about it yeah. that they're thinking about it whether, I don't know whether people are actually actively practically making those changes yeah that's the thing because like i think i agree it's on people's minds uh people are more aware of it but there's not it's like well what do we do next like at least with with accessibility there are standards Mm. like and and the number of products who probably ignore accessibility standards is probably massive um but even with accessibility if you say i want to make my product more accessible there are things you can do to make it more accessible with ethics, if I want to make my product more ethical, mm-hmm. like that's a weird question. That's like, it's not even clear what that's asking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it's a thing. People think about design ethics as something that, yeah, it's probably important. I don't want to be a bad, bad person 
I don't want to hurt people with my design, but it's not really tangible what that means yet. Yeah. So that's that would be where I'm thinking of it. The biggest I think. What does digital harm look like? Yeah, exactly. And and uh, in ter- one one sort of thing I noticed with a lot of people, which I think is concerning in my perspective, is putting the full onus on the user themselves to make decisions to protect themselves from unethical design practices. So do I think users have a main role? Yes, like every individual has a responsibility to protect themselves. Of course, that is a thing that I would agree with. What I don't agree with is putting it all on them and saying designers can do whatever they want, whatever tactics they want to increase increase retention, increase growth, increase um, you know people spending money through their apps, whatever it may be that harms them in the process. You're using dark patterns, like a dark pattern. It's a it's a it's a designer's fault if a user falls into a dark pattern. It's not the user's fault for falling in that. Like that is using psychological hacks to make a user do something that they should not, they don't want to do. A more local one that's that's kind of well known is uh, I think Ryanair used to hide the no insu- no travel insurance in the drop down where you select the countries. So it was technically there but hidden away. And so you were select. It was selected by default, and it wasn't clear how to unselect it. For example, mm-hmm. that's probably gone by now. I'm not sure, but that's an example of a dark pattern. For maybe just for people who aren't as familiar with the terms that we use, yeah. um, it's basically as you're saying, put, trying to hide something or you know put, guide you down a path that you, an unsuspecting user, might end up giving paying more money or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and maybe like, is this a dark pattern? Is the first step in going down the path of is this is my design ethical? Do I meet kind of a base level ethic? Like, am I am I trying to trick people <laughs> to do a certain thing? Um, do I do I prioritize growth of my product over users' well being? Like, mm-hmm. if those are things that you can say yes, that is uh, the way I work. Then I think you should put things into question and, and try to put it in perspective mm-hmm. um, the work that you're doing. But that that example you used there about growth, I mean, I mean, the reason why people use them, it's not it's not some kind of megalomaniac trying to take over the world. Mm-hmm. It's someone trying to move the dial a little bit on yeah. on on their their growth, their retention, or any that type of thing. So it's kind of like I think a lot of time they've got a lot of those decisions in their head is like this is an ethical issue, mm-hmm. or is it just like oh well we I was at like you know we were told to improve the. The performance of yeah. our product, yeah. which happens all over the world, it's not just a design thing. So there's targets that trickle down from the heads of businesses and stuff. So, you know, your people are making these decisions and they're maybe not thinking logically or ethically in this in this matter. They're just trying trying to make um, an impact on the bottom line for the business. And I think like this topic of ethics will be a, a whole big episode hmm. uh, on its own. Um, but it brings it to another another one. What are we on number? That's number four. I think. The only the other point that that it kind of is related to this, but distinct, um, is that design moving closer to the business side. I think, um, like, there's always this conversation of like design, especially design within within software products and technology. Like, how much designers are involved in like development activities? Are they just working with developers? Are they doing development themselves? That's a that's a thing that will always be there in our in this this slice of the design pie. But with the business in particular, that's obviously something that's gained more traction. It's talked about more how designers should be more engaged in the business, should be helping define strategy, should be 
thinking about growth and profit and and how do we beat the competition and all those things which in some sense i agree with yes the designer should be at the table to to help achieve those goals but there's obviously the ethical side of that which i've already talked about but like when design is being used as a tool to take advantage of people for those goals then the the ethical framework starts to break down yeah a little bit. yeah and I think some of those, maybe, maybe that example as well, probably wasn't, it may not have been someone maliciously trying to, to do that. They just came up with an idea. Oh, it would be great if this, then that, if the user doesn't reply in X amount of days, we reach out with this generic message and offer them a free offer. It kind of makes sense in your head. And if it wasn't talking about gambling, it wouldn't seem like a big, such a big issue. That's, I think this is a whole other podcast, but yeah, I think we've covered that enough there now. So, so the next topic that you were talking about is loads of new software tools um, or tons of new tools all going unused just an observation of the the conversations around tools and how how many times we talk about we compare our tools we talk about the new tools we talk about the failures of the new tools versus the success of the old tools or the things we hate about the old tools but we still use them they're still our main tools like just this topic of tools is such a thing but at the end of the day there's only a few tools we actually use like i mean how many tools do you use in your design work what are they Primary ones would be Sketch, Abstract, Principle. They'd be the primary ones. Five years ago, say, even less than that maybe, it was all Adobe Suite. Photoshop would be open all the time and Illustrator. Um, doing some stuff in After Effects for motion, either motion graphics or kind of prototypes in design. The odd time. But primarily now, a lot of that stuff can be, like Sketch can do a lot of the stuff that Illustrator does and most of the stuff from an interface perspective that Photoshop was used for. I'm not saying it was good at it, because it, when, when Sketch came out, it was, like, it was like a breath of fresh air compared to all the other tools. It was just so powerful. But still, it's still a good tool. But we're actually talking about switching over to Figma now. <laughs> that was my question. Have you adopted any new tools in the past six months? Like core tools to you? Not, not just dabbled, but actually have adopted them into your work. I would say Abstract is, is recently new enough or new enough. But we're talking about getting rid of Sketch abstract maybe envision as well and using figma as a as a yeah we're toying around with it. bold bold yeah i'll keep you updated i don't know how that's going to go but basically one of the issues is is that as the team grows we've got low our product has loads of screens and loads of variations and stuff like that and as a result abstract had helped us with the version control but even now that we've had issues with like syncing and all you've got to pick branches and sync them and what we like about Figma is you can all work on it at the same time. And it's web-based as well and that kind of stuff. So it sounds good. Um, don't want to get too much into, into the tools, even though I kind of have there. But I'm looking at the graphic you have here, and you've got uh, on for the for your Medium post, you've got Sketch, Envision Studio, which I downloaded once, opened once, and closed. I think a lot of people have done the same. Uh, Framer, Figma, Photoshop XD, which I haven't, I've never used. Webflow, I love Azure, maybe, and a couple of others, abstracting mm-hmm. principle. But um, yeah, I mean, there are there's so many tools, you know. And there, there's new tools. I feel like like there's the big the big ones like that we know, which are most ones there. Um, but there's new tools all the time. Like you hear about people making new tools, and you know, I, every time I see one, I'm like kind of kind of like why? Like why do we need another tool? Like I don't know. I think the tools we have. To be acquired by Envision. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? On one hand, it's cool to see a new tool gain that popularity. Like Figma, I think, is one that's been getting a lot more attention and probably getting a lot more use. But still, like the dominating tools are Sketch. Like Sketch is not going anywhere, right? Um, 
for prototyping. Envision is there. Envision is not perfect. It has tons of limitations compared to other tools, but it's still leading the way and it's still going well, it's still going to be the primary tool for at least the foreseeable future. And they're doing interesting things. They're a really cool company. Um, I don't see that changing too fast, but obviously other tools will gain traction. But the main point of that, adding that as a point was that every time a new tool comes out, I feel it in myself. It's like, there's then the question, should I learn this tool? Yeah. And like that question just sort of, I just feel like it's a distraction. It's not really like, because tools exist for a reason, just to prototype a version of what we want mm-hmm. to exist in the world. I like, for me, the interesting tools, like like you mentioned Webflow. I think Webflow is a cool tool because it sort of gets you as a non-technical designer, gets you a little bit, it gets you more familiar with development concepts, uh, at least for web, which I think is a cool thing. Like you kind of learn things that you didn't know before through using it. Um, and it does something different than other tools that I've used can. And that makes it a cool, it makes it a cool different tool. I just don't need another of the same tool that just does just does prototyping a little better or just has a some extra tools for UI design. Like don't, yeah. we don't need that. Like Yeah, no, I, I think I've definitely got design I've definitely got tool software fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of at a point now where it's like unless it's a kind of a you know, what was it like a vitamins and painkillers? Unless it's a real painkiller, that's and it, that's what we're tying with Figma for. Because if it can if it can roll sketch and envision mm-hmm. and abstract into one tool it sounds good anyway but we, 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 i'll keep you posted <laughs> okay uxers are aging mm-hmm. none of us are getting any younger craig well i think we get like ux is a young field uh in general so there's not a lot of like we don't have a lot of retired ux designers right so you know that's a new thing as as ux has been around longer there's more people you know moving into their career and coming maybe with a sense of ux that's different than the people who are just getting in mm-hmm. who are maybe right out, of, right out of college or just switched over from something um so it's a it's a good i think it's a good change it's a good mix to you know as ux matures and to have that perspective of different of different age groups there at the table i think it's, yeah. it's a cool thing absolutely yeah well I, I don't really know anyone personally that's at kind of retirement age who's been in the ux design field uh, they're all kind of you know at least 10 or 15 years off that mm-hmm. if they ever will retire but yeah i think there's like wisdom with experience and all that unless like also with like especially in within technology you know with age also comes irrelevance i think it's harder trying to keep up with the tools well and, like, like and the, yeah and i mean tools and and just keeping up with like the discourse and things like yeah. like every stage of life gets a little more complex right like mm. uh focus changes maybe focus goes more into family or more into thinking of just obviously when you're 22 and you're 47 mm. thoughts are like your yeah. mind is in a very different world um what is this thing that a uh, snapchat that all the kids are using you know yeah well i learned today <laughs> that that, kind of i learned today that that twitter is for old people which i don't use twitter because i'm not old but yeah but twitter is apparently for old people which <laughs> you know i didn't realize but yeah um my my main prediction for this is that a year from now uh uxers will be one year older nice Cool. So the last piece we had here, um, I don't know what number this. I lost track. I think number eight, technically speaking. Um, and again, this is not this is broken from the article, but kind of based on the things we want to talk about. It has to do with trends, and there were some mentions of of trends, shape trends. We talked about dark mode as a trend. Um, yeah, dark mode may be a bit more than a trend, but trends in general, everybody knows what proliferation of trends would mean. And we think about like what it's sort of about the speed of these trends. 
um, like design trends seem to come in like a bat out of hell and just sort of hit you in the face. But it seems like as soon as you see the trend, it's on its way up. It's on its way out already. So the hype curve of a trend seems to just be condensed in super short. So you see it come in. It's now a trend Then a bunch of people imitate it uh, as it falls. And then if you haven't imitated it, like the day after you see the first one and you really think it's going to be a trend, then you're kind of, you're missing out. Well, you're not, you're not gaining the, you're not reaping the rewards of the trend. Before things were so digital with the likes of Pinterest and your visual or digital design perspective, you've got your dribbles and Behance and all those types of things where in the past, when things were offline, it could take years for a trend to hit another area of the world, you know, and those, and in that meantime, that meant cash money for uh, for designers because they can kind of go, well, look what these guys are doing. And there was more, as you're saying, it was more, it was more elongated, the kind of curve it took over. There was more time before it reached its peak and then dipped back down. Whereas now, someone, someone does a cool design, it's up on Behance, it's up on Dribble immediately. It's pollinated immediately to thousands and thousands of designers and everyone's gone huh if we're working on something new that's one of the key inspirations now and a week later everyone's mocking up ideas that look the same as the, the latest fad and then then shortly afterwards all the designers were realizing oh everyone's doing the same thing because we've got like a monoculture of uh, websites and yeah. illustration styles illustrations and all for sure i mean even even some of these recently there's been a few tools come out that you know allow you to either pick pick your illustration to just like download it and throw it in your product mm -hmm. or on your website or the one that was more recent where you can sort of modify the skin tone, the gender, the, the beard shape, the the clothing, the, the position, like you'd modify it, but the style is the same. And like, it's fine when those, when those hit the market, they're interesting um, and they're free. So people will use them and then, then you'll start seeing it everywhere and then it'll just be a silly yeah. thing. Like I, I wrote about this with, um, with Unsplash a while ago. I love Unsplash. I've used their photos forever. I mean, I think it's an amazing site, amazing it's great, team yeah. that makes it. Uh, and they were really responsive to when I wrote about it. But the point of the article was like Unsplash, it's very identifiable when you look on Medium, for example, you know they get stuff from Unsplash, whether they're sourced or not. Like that's obviously an Unsplash photo. There's no question about it. They're really good photos, but it's sort of, it commoditized them mm -hmm. so that good photography is almost cheesy. It's almost like the cheesy stock. The, the point of the article was Unsplash is the cheesy stock photos of the future. I forget what I said. Basically, they are now cheesy mm. um, because they're just everywhere. Yeah. But it's it's a weird dynamic, but it's because of, it's now free and accessible. Everyone's going to use it as soon as they find out about it. And it's going to be everywhere. And then once it's everywhere, it's not different. Yeah. And when it's not different, then who gives a shit? Yeah. Everyone was using large images, photos for their their websites all their websites had a you know a big massive uh, hero image that took up the whole screen and then all of a sudden then oh no everyone's we're gonna go against that and you've got like the likes of slack doing those illustrations of people climbing up ladders onto uh, <laughs> browsers and yeah stuff, exactly you know? exactly and uh which is which is lovely work like you know but then then immediately everyone's like oh that's nice you know are the amount of illustrations that have that kind of uh, kind of wavy leaf plant thing mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, they're everywhere. Like you know, it's as a background thing. I mean, it can be effective when it's done well. I, the fact that it's not as heavy as an illustration, it can make it for a little more of an interesting layout with a kind of a more dynamic use of white space around it and how typography interacts with it, as opposed to just a big flat image or a big um, heavy photo. 
but then again, yeah, like as soon as that's as soon as that becomes mainstream, everyone sees it, then you're like, oh, okay, like that the curve hits the, the zenith, and then yeah, I mean, it, nose dives. I, I I guess my main question is like, I don't quite get why designers participate in that. Like commoditizing our work is not helpful. Like it it hurts. I think as a as a discipline, I feel yeah. like it hurts us because it says. Like okay, we now have this place we can pull these designs that are that look cool. They look like they look like the illustration Slack has. Like mm. I want those in my product. I can just pull them from a product and dump them in mine, mm-hmm. and therefore I'll sort of start to look like Slack. Um, like what? I'm just wondering, like what's 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 the reason that that even exists in the world? Like it just makes it it makes hiring an illustrator is no longer necessary mm. unless I have this big budget to invest in my brand and have this unique illustration style but most people will just go with the commodity because it's cheap mm. or free i don't know just long term it doesn't seem to be like it doesn't seem to be helping anybody mm. other than it doesn't no it doesn't even help the businesses that are doing it because it just dilutes their brand to be like everybody else yeah there's a constant perpetual kind of uh drive to make stuff that is aesthetically pleasing so like it's their stylistic choices. So people want to make something with visual appeal that has visual delight or whatever, whatever. And so there's always that drive to make something that looks fresh and kind of stands out. And as a result, it's just a, it's a cycle. It happens with everything. Happens with fashion and all. It just I think with digital, it's it's almost like a, the big bang. Someone puts up something new and it just explodes and it's everywhere. And everyone's like, oh, everyone's taking a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and then everyone very quickly. There's so many designers designing things that things just start to look the same mm-hmm. yeah. monoculture so i suppose a, re- a reductionist or you know a, a kind of minimalist approach is a bit more timeless nice typography but even is minimalism a trend <laughs> i mean everything's a trend like there's minimalism and there's like the brutalism the yeah. brutalist kind of ui that's like really fun to look at sometimes even though it's ter- like it's yeah. terrible but it's not i like it like go back to look at like websites from like 1990 mm. it's really fun to look at them and even I was debating, um, I was trying to think if we could take our product uh, for work and put an old, like an old Apple UI from like mm. the 90s, just like skin it with that, like just as a fun thing. And, like that can be fun. Yeah, it depends yeah. what you want to do. Like, you know, I think a lot of times companies just want to give a, a little bit of a jolt to their to the viewer, you know, because it, it can be very, uh, the, the nature of user tested to death type products, it's like, products can be just like tailored so much to suit everybody that they've lost any element of edge or freshness or anything like that so i think there's always a there's always a an impulse to try and stand out Mm -hmm. yeah and like you've said before about kind of the vision or sort of like a bold vision for any product like to have that shown through the design it, it requires a certain unique perspective that as long as things are just dumbed down to suit everyone then we're not going to get we're not going to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely inoffensive design. Inoffensive. Yeah, it's good to offend a little bit, you know. Sometimes, yeah, a little bit of punk. Like obviously we we're talking about ethics before, but this is not ethics. This is yeah, offensive design. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. Or stuff that just catches you off guard, makes you stop in your tracks. Yeah, it's an interesting year ahead, and I think on that topic of uh, trends, maybe we can be all be a little bit more conscious of spot the incoming trends and 
maybe try to do something to book that a little bit you know you can maybe you can stand out but you don't necessarily have to be the flashy new thing cool well thanks so much for listening everybody really appreciate any any sharing of this episode also you know share it and let us know what you think about it uh what you think about ideas of these trends uh things that you think we're completely wrong about things that you that you agree with uh, everything is, is is obviously on the table i uh, would love to hear people's thoughts about it uh, you can subscribe to Opacity on any podcasting platform. So check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Tom, where can people find you in the world? On Twitter at, at TomCDesign. Where can we find you? Yeah, uh, I write on Medium at Craig5446 and on Instagram also Craig5446. Nice. Thank you all. Talk to you later. Till next time. <laughs>